Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're missing more. That's a great question. What is the long-term effect of too much information? One of the And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, Master of Ceremonies. I look forward to once again serve you those conscious coma-inducing vibrations. First-time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a different kind of show, a place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Live and direct right now on the TuneIn Radio app. Search End of Days and you'll find the 24-7 network. Catch the podcast rendition on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, along with Google Play, of course, YouTube. On a very, very special afternoon delight edition of the Michael Deacon program, my guest here will be Diane Bischoff-James. She is a motivational speaker and author of The Real Brass Ring, an award-winning best-selling novel that was chosen by Aspire magazine as a top 10 inspirational book. As a life reboot expert, Diane works as a life transformation coach and helps others recognize their own personal power and potential, teaches her private clients how to manifest and transform their hearts, minds, and bodies for optimal, authentic living. Always an honor and pleasure to be here. Here we are together again like a big, happy, dysfunctional family. This is American Living. Here we are, boys and girls, episode 32. Wasting no time now, let's bring on our guest. Diane, are you there? I am. How are you doing? I am fantastic. I can't complain. <laughs> Good. Glad can't to complain. hear it. Can't complain one bit. I'm so happy to be alive. Goodness. What a glorious way to start out this show. <laughs> no doubt. I'm feeling good. I, I, I hope you feel okay. I'm, I, like I said, I'm feeling phenomenal. I'm good. We've, I had, I've had a very good week and I'm actually watching the rain here in the Northeast and it has a kind of a calming effect. So I'm happy and calm. How about that? I love that. Yes. You must be calm and cool out there in the hectic city. Yes. Absolutely. Oh yes. So before we begin here, can you tell us a little bit about yourself since this since this is your first uh, rodeo here on the program? <laughs> yes, yes, and thank you so much for having me. Um I'm a life reboot expert and I like to uh think of myself as a steward of change. And I had the wonderful good fortune at about 40 years old uh, to have an encounter with 
uh, Sonia Choquette. She's an internationally known psychic. Mm. And yes. in this chance encounter, it wasn't so much a chance, actually, I paid to go see her, but she had said everything about my life was wrong. She's like, wrong guy, wrong career, wrong passion, wrong work, wrong location, wrong everything. Wow. And and thanks a lot. <laughs> Get out of my office. <laughs> how, how good, did that, good how luck did, fixing your life. <laughs> how did that make you feel when you first initially heard that? You know... It's first thing I wanted to do is jump across the little desk and like choker. No. <laughs> well, that's understandable. Yes. <laughs> but then I realized she was just the messenger mm-hmm. and went into my car after it was Chicago. It was about more than 10 years ago. It was February freezing to death. And I started sobbing. I so I cried to the point where my red gloves were bleeding red on my face and I had to go to work. I was actually Whoa. working as a, in corporate America at the time. And I had to go to a business meeting with a client and I'm sitting there with mascara halfway down my face and these red splotches. And, you know, it's kind of hard to realize at 40 that you're a total failure according to my life plan, not a failure per se, because I had all the trappings of the American dream, but um, I was also 190 pounds. So I was and sucking down Prozac like there was no tomorrow. So as it's, as my life, found myself in the middle, it was completely off track. It's interesting that you said the American dream, because that's one thing I was going to mention during my little monologue here, but wasting no time with that. We we jumped right in here. But some people say the American dream can actually be killing you. I could not agree with that more. Because I do think if I would have stayed on that track, uh, not only overweight, but my entire body was breaking down. I was I was unable. To, my shoulders were uh, hurt to the point where I had to go get surgery. Knees hurt, joints, head, shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. Everything was hurting, physically ill, and still pursuing the dream. And hearing about so many people, as I'm sure you have and everybody else has, that, mm-hmm. you know, 50 sometimes is when people are coming up with heart disease and huge, huge physical issues. And I think it's because we're pursuing that. I call it the real brass ring is not that, but we're going after that plastic ring all the time, which is more stuff, more shoes, better cars, better phones, whatever it is that's the next blinky thing. And uh, it is not making people happy. So I'm almost like the anti-American dream right now. And I completely understand. I mean, sometimes we get stuck and say the same job for over 10 years, and then suddenly we wake up and realize, the hell are we doing with our lives? Yes, yes. And I I personally believe, Michael, that this is going to be an entire movement, that it's not just, it's not certainly just me or other people who are midlife or even approaching, you know, mid-30s saying, hey, what am I doing? But it's going to be everybody. What if we got on track from the start? And this is the part that I just am fascinated with this concept. What if we found our life's work, we're using our gifts, pursuing our passion, offering the contribution that we came here to do from an early age? I just think it would change everybody. I think it would change our perspective about what we're here, how life is a beautiful, joyful, and I like to say my rose-colored glasses, I get to put them back on and see the world from this rosy perspective. But yeah, all of us eventually will come to that point where we realize, my goodness, life is so short, what are we doing? And this job, like I said, could be ultimately destroying you from within. Oh yes, and, and everyone definitely has to go through that. We'll be asking ourselves, 
who we are and what makes us happy and what, what, what do we love to do? And we, we seek all these questions out all the time. Right. And, and that's where I feel like it's such a huge opportunity. Um, I've been working on this for about 10 years and I'm putting together in, in a second book a life master plan, which would be a formula in a way to help everybody figure out those key issues, how to get clear, clear with your authenticity, clear about what your superpowers are, what your gifts are, and then clear about what is the big overarching mission that you came here to do. We, I think we all had some sort of agreement before we landed here on earth as to what we were going to accomplish. And also underneath that would be all the lessons because many, many times um, when we don't have what we want, it's because we're not getting our lessons. We're either right. too afraid, don't want to deal with it. What would happen? I mean, what would happen? I'm 40 years old. I have this mini mansion across from the lake in Chicago. I have three kids. I have a, f- a 14 or 15 year relationship. How do you take all that down to the ground? How do you just get rid of it? And it was producing what it was supposed to produce, which was the money to keep that ship going. Right. But the only thing I knew at the time is that if I wasn't sucking down medication to numb myself, I didn't think I could get out of bed. Ooh, and yeah. that, that sounds yeah, like many Americans out there right now. So many, so many people have found that the only way that they can really function is with medication. And unfortunately, and this is the one, one thing that Sonia said before I left her office, she's like, I'm going to tell you a secret. She goes, you're chronically and clinically depressed. Ooh. No one will tell you that because you, and I was doing it. I was walking down the road. She said, you are walking in the footsteps of your mother and your father. You're following all the rules, and I'm doing air quotes right now, all the rules, and you're doing what they told you to do. And because you were such a good soldier that you were willing to go down the road, get the money, get the career, have the kids, be totally involved, you know, lunch duty, cheerleading coach, and then you work till midnight, make sure the clients are happy, and then find a little time for your relationship, if that at all, and you keep following those rules. And unfortunately, at the end of that road, you, know, you climb up. I felt like I climbed up the ladder. I got to the top of the ladder. I looked down. And I realized I was on the wrong ladder. And that's tough. That's really, really, really tough. So I, I set out on a path for the last almost 13 years, and I've fixed every every one of those issues. Have been completely torn down. I always think of the tower and. and Yes. You know, tore everything down to the ground and rebuilt the whole thing back up and became an actor, an author, a teacher, and a healer now. And now I'm touring the country with my book, The Real Brass Ring, and sharing the 14 shortcuts for happy living, which is how I started this complete renovation or rebooting of my life. Yes, and let's let's get into your book right now. And I read most of your book, it's not exactly a fairly long book, which I appreciate because there, there's lots of books out there that I definitely need to read and I can't get through them all. So I, I really do appreciate your book not being so long. And I hope you take that as a compliment. I do. I do. I don't have, we're all time famine. So that, <laughs> that was exactly. my intention. I wanted to make it like a quick, fun read where it wouldn't hang people up it would be more of a page turner. So that was my intention. You know, it it really is. And I must say this kind of book that you produced, it's, it's very, I guess you can say certain people out there can get very emotional when, when reading books like yours. (laughs) I hear that. (laughs) 
No, it's very true. I hear a lot about the tears, actually. It's People very say true. that they were reading it and they were crying and then they're laughing. Uh, and again, that was my intention. My, my intention was to try to find ways to, I mean, to relate. And, and the one story that I, I always remember is, you know, kind of the day that my divorce was final. Because that was one of the things that I had to redo. It wasn't the right relationship. No one was doing anything wrong. There was no, no, no bad behavior. We were, we were functioning like we were supposed to function. This he is a was very, the butler, uh, and I was the maid. You by, know. By the way, I, I needed to say this is a very personal book. Yes, yes, and it's so personal to the point where I remember, and I was actually sitting in a bathtub. I had just gotten divorced. They, they, it's very simple. You kind of go in. It takes five minutes. Do you agree to these points? Yes, yes, yes. And they kind of sign it, stamp it, and they hand you a piece of paper. And for some reason, I thought I would feel elated. I thought I'd be like, oh, you know, it it's over. I can start over. But instead, I, I remember sitting in the bathtub and because and, I didn't want anyone around for a few hours. And I have never felt that low in my entire life. And I, I realized mm. that it was the culmination and, and the true definition a failure. That, at least that's what it felt like at the time. I mean, how do you fail at one of the most important relationships of your life and celebrate? Well, you don't celebrate. You have to go through that experience. I had to go through that experience of feeling like a complete and utter loser and and not really go into the depth of that and, and try to explain how to recover from that in a way where you can come back healthy, strong, powerful, and in a position of like stronger defense in a way. Like I knew after it was over and after I stopped feeling sorry for myself and I kind of pulled myself together, I realized that they were brand new fresh shoes. And that was the nice thing about it. That's the upside. Of course, with everything, there's contrast. There's the downside and then the upside. And the upside is it was an opportunity for me to explore a new market, which was being single in the in my 40s in Chicago, and I had a little red convertible, so I used to drive downtown and met new people oh and had I probably one of the best times of my entire life, and I did some cougar dating, and I talk about that in the book, too, and that gets kind of crazy and weird and fun, and it's not, you know, it was just kind of just a, a little bit of a, um, it was a, a rejuvenation in a way. I felt as if I was able to touch happiness at 40 in a way that I had never experienced any of the years prior to that. Well, you are. And so, yeah, you're you're lucky to experience that because there there are many people out there who are are married currently now, and they are completely unhappy. And I know many of those people out there. I have various friends who are married. They just can't stand being married. It, it's really sad to be honest with. You. Yeah, that's an interesting topic. It, it know, is, and it, you... once again, it's a very sensitive topic, as well as this next one where you actually have children of your own and. You actually have regret about having those children, and of course, you love them so much. However, you you can't help but think, I'm kind of stuck again now here. Yeah, and and just to clarify, it's it, it was it was it's tough. It it's really tough is to be single. That too, and I call it the dom. I had to be the dad and the mom. Love now, I still I love my children to death, and they are by far the greatest. I would say accomplishment experience of my life. So again, that's the upside. But it has been incredibly difficult to, because uh, my, my ex ended up moving far away. He ended up moving to Arizona. And I have had to raise three kids literally on my own, which yeah, also makes you a little schizophrenic because mm -hmm. if you're the dad and the mom, 
you're the ones like, oh, you're, it's okay, you're fine, and I'm all nurturing and loving. And then the minute something goes down that shouldn't be going down and they've crossed a boundary, then all of a sudden I had to be the disciplinarian. So I end, you know, you end up being two different people. And I think it, and you make yourself out to be a little psychotic in a way because, you're right. um, I'm not, I'm not sure that that's really healthy, honestly, for the kids because the nurturing role is the one that usually you run to and the disciplinarian in a way you respect and it's hard to be both. It really has been tough to be yeah, both and to also raise is. healthy, healthy kids and happy kids who get that, that this was just a mismatch of two people being together. Um, but the sensitivity of that comes where I, I wonder, just wonder, um, in relationships. I mean, nothing grows straight and without bending in two parallel forms from the beginning of one experience to the end of your life. Nothing is that straight, that perpendicular and grows in the same way. So I think it's always so interesting that we expected a relationship to start in your 20s, let's say, and to be fulfilling and perfect and joyful in 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, however long it's going to be, and and function because those two people are growing and expanding and finding out about themselves and about life and about their interests and their passion. So I just don't know if we've really looked at marriage right. in the right way. And sometimes I mean, you it could, seems kind of ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You what, could outgrow your partner after a few years. That happens. Well, just look at a tree. I mean, any any part of a tree is bending and growing, and there's no other plant that's growing right next to it. And we have very few species that are monogamous from beginning to end. I think there's eight or something in the world. And yes. so to think that we would have this kind of formal structure that doesn't allow for growth, and also, and this is the part that I find to be the hardest part, there's no tools. I mean, there are tools, but we are they're not they're not openly available. And um, some of them are fantastic for relationships, but a lot of it boils down to a lot about what our basic needs are. So people in general, I know in relationships after any, any I say anybody after a while gets annoying. I don't care. You put any two people in the same room or the same house for too long, everyone gets frustrated and your true self comes out. And that frustration and desires and interests are all kind of bubbling up and you're in this little microcosm or as they say, you know, mating in captivity, you're stuck, but we don't provide any tools. And there are good tools out there, by the way. Um, one of the best courses, I actually dragged my fiance to the Hendricks course. Um, Harville Hendricks has a course called Getting the Love You Want. And we were, you know, we've been together for seven years now. And it's, it was getting frustrating. We went through a big move together. We just moved out east because that was the last piece of my reboot. And I said, look, here, Here's our choices. We need to improve our relationship. We're both going through all these changes and frustrations. And I said, if we go, if you come with me to this course, it's a heck of a lot cheaper than breaking up. And so oh that's what I had to use. I had to use that little like, well, <laughs> cheaper than a divorce. And it was, you know, that's it was so very funny. reasonable, actually, because it was like three days. And we worked on tools that actually gave us back some of the things that we were missing, which was really being able to listen to each other, being able to feel heard and understood and actually having a little compassion for each other with the other person's point of view without trying to make yourself right. You know, you really are just sitting in the other person's shoes for a minute. And I would say about 80% of all of our issues kind of went away when we got back because we were able to continue to use these tools and, and to speak and come, and I say, come clean. We come clean all the time on everything. It's absolutely ridiculous how clean we are on calling each other out in the moment. And it so it never bubbles up. 
And so that's why I think when you talked about the fact that these couples are frustrated with each other oh, for yes. so many years, they don't feel heard, they don't feel understood, they don't get that the loving yummies back again in the heartfelt space because, well, quite frankly, the other person's doing their own course over there, right. and you're doing your course over here, and then they they lose the most important thing, which, of course, is the connection. I also think people are just wired differently at times. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They they do all those studies with relationships, uh, relationship courses where, and it's even for sales, and they'll say that the one person who's focused, I think this is so funny, the, the type of personality that's focused on structure, security, safety, and having, you know, all their ducks in a row is the person who usually attracts, which is the one that I'm connected to right now, my fiance, is about structure and safety and security, and I'm about freedom and exploration and adventure and fun, you know, fun loving and always seeking to kind of sort of break the rules. And those two people are attracted to each other. Yeah. You you have to find someone (laughs) you mesh well with and need to end. One thing I do want to mention here quickly, well, not too quickly, but you also had a very life altering experience with, with um, a psychic like you named earlier named um, Sonia, right? Yes. Yeah, let's get into that here right now. How exactly did you come across her? Well, that was the law of synchronicity because I had randomly heard about her two times in one week, two different people who had never heard each other. And she had an office in Chicago at the time. And these friends of mine, random friends, said, you know what? You really should go see her. I think you'd really like her. And I thought, well, that's weird. You know, when two people tell you something the same week, totally different places. One was a business setting. One was at like a party. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, you know what? This will be a great birthday present for myself. And so I scheduled an appointment and I thought for my 38th birthday that that was going to be my present to myself to go sit. And I, I really expected her to tell me that my life was rocking, that I was the you know, you, you've just mastered this thing. Everything's great. And I kind of thought she was going to tell me that I was going to be the marketing maven of Chicago and to rock, to keep going, you know, but instead she undressed me in every way, shape and form and, and did it without mincing words. And I was pretty much, I, I was shocked. I think I went really into PSTD. And let me, let me, <laughs> the middle of it. Yeah. Let me, let me stop you there. But before you even went and contacted this woman, did you have any interest at all in, in the paranormal realm whatsoever? Did you experience anything strange and unusual growing up, per se? Well, my household was very Roman Catholic, very strict and very rigid. And I was always the black sheep because I was the one who was, I mean, the very first person that I completely was admired and kind of fell in love with was Shirley MacLaine when she did, you know, Dancing in the Light and Not on the Uh, Limb and all of her books. So I felt like she was one of the first public figures that were able, that was able to bring our spirituality, the side that we cannot see, intuitive, uh, paranormal, whatever you want to call it. I was celebrating for her and with her because she's the first one who made it public And she went through a lot just trying to do that. But she basically said, you know, there's this world we can see, the Western side, and how we function and and how much our will and action is involved. And then there's this entire other part of the world, the you know, the the spiritual aspect of ourselves. So I've been pursuing this since I was a kid. But mostly it was under the covers with a flashlight. (laughs) Instead of, you know, reading Nancy Drew, I was reading metaphysical books because I could never get enough. That's all I've ever wanted to to seek and, and to learn more about. So you did always have an interest in this. 
Oh yes, yes. But it was pretty well shut down because it wasn't it wasn't accepted, it wasn't approved, well, of you know, course it wasn't not. Yeah. couldn't bring it up, couldn't talk about it with the family because they already oh, no. thought I was crazy as it was. Oh, they already thought you were nuts? Oh yeah, completely. Oh because no. Because I wanted to be an actor and I wanted to dance and to sing and to talk about, you know, I I had uh, we were living in a house that I I knew was haunted. So I had haunted? a lot of the paranormal background, but it was it wasn't until I actually saw Sonia that I it really kind of clicked. Oh yeah, it, yeah, it came together for you. It, it happens. Yeah, it does yeah. happen. And I always say everyone needs a good swift kick in the seat of the pants because mm. <laughs> sometimes you know we you know we talk about the lack of health and all that. After a while, something will stop you. You know, if it, if it's not a, a psychic reading, it, it could be your health. It could be it could be a message. It could be a car accident. I think we're trying to get ourselves on track. And um, after Sonia, my my entire intuition opened up, all of my abilities opened up, and have been able to pursue that along with. So I, I call it pragmatic metaphysics. Very much, I'm very much about the practical practical world, just because that's where I came from, and I understand business really well. But also when the entire intuitive opening and psychic opening kind of happened for me, I started studying everything I could put my hands on. So I, I'm certified in Akashic Records now and studied with Linda Howe, who wrote the book on how to how to uh, read the Akashic Records. And I've pursued um, law of attraction training. And I do, I do readings now for people that are really just all about the Akash. But then I also tie it into their practical world. So I feel like the great opportunity is to, to put them both together, you know, you can be your own medical intuitive 99% of the time because I think we all know what's going on in our bodies. Certainly, yeah, we, we definitely do. We all have that that feeling every now and then. We we get when we are alone and there's nothing bothering us, but you could kind of actually hear what's actually resonating inside of you. Your body kind of lets you know what's what needs to be checked out. Oh, absolutely. I'm not sure if people actually realize that. I I mean, sorry to cut you off, but yeah, I don't think many people take any sort of time out for themselves and just sort of meditate. And these sort of things will come to mind. I, I, especially, I think for me, it's um, because I'm kind of hyper. I, I like to do walking meditations, mostly just get out in the woods, get out in anywhere where it's quiet. I'm feeling the wind and can hear, and um, I almost always get like a download of information about the, the big picture. I like to think of it as big picture living. Like that's what I'm talking about to, right there. The big download. Yep, the big download. But I think the big picture living is what we're missing, and that's the part that's so cool about realizing that you already have the abilities inside. If we do get quiet, the answers are always within. It, it's it's frightening how absolutely. accurate that is. And mo- like I said, most people have uh, they they're so. Uh, I'm trying to be nice here. I'm thinking of a nicer way of putting this, but most people are are like deer in the headlights when it comes to this sort of thing because they are consumed most of their lives and, and most of their time. As you know, time is always against us. So some people are just so unaware. Right, and that, that's an interesting perspective. Is time against us or is it is it a gift in a way? Because if we had all that, what if we were, someone said this to me recently, I was thinking about it. If you were going to be here for 300 years, what would you do differently? That's and it's, a, it's mm-hmm. an interesting question. Just it because really is. I think in a way, because I feel like, and then this is the way a lot of people I know who are, who are in midlife, especially, we, we're moving fast now because we feel like 
it's the time crunch, you know. Okay, so if I want to chill out, and this is what I realized after seeing Sonia, I started counting days, and I figured I had about 11,000 days to straighten all this out. Everything on the physical part that was going wrong, everything in the mental part that was going wrong, the emotional part, and to get the career on track. And 11,000 days, I mean, that doesn't sound like, it, to me, that sounded like such a short period of time. That meant every day had to count. And so that's the aspect of time, I think, that I respect in that it it does force you to, to move on and move on out. You know, that and writing, yeah, that and writing your goals down does help. Yes, yes, absolutely. And also, I, I saw Deepak once um, live in Chicago, and, and he said something that always stayed with me. He said, they said, well, what to, to what do you attribute your phenomenal success? And he said in this live session, he said, I was born with the ability to do what is most important first. Mm. I'm like, oh. So good. Yes. So good. I can't say I <laughs> always do that. <laughs> you know, it's so easy to, uh, you know, keep checking your emails yeah. or, you know, run down and, you know, just walk down the street or, you know, just do or just do mindless things like, like get caught up in a couple hours of, of television. Well, we get stuck in that pattern of behavior and it's sometimes counterproductive and we don't even know we're doing it. Right, right, right. That's the mm-hmm. mindlessness. But I thought, yeah. what an important and strong message. If you do what is most important first, he said he looks at what's going to have the strongest impact and he puts everything else on the back burner. Yeah, that's a good and way of putting I'm it. And I'm like, wow, so strategic, so strong. And, and he obviously has accomplished more than most of us could in a lifetime and has his own center and he just went straight to work on his own, on his own center so that he could offer cool. uh, an institute to the world. Know thyself, but mm-hmm. Sonia, wh- where is she now? Is she still in Chicago? No, uh, she had part of her reboot as well. She just moved to Paris. Uh, I think about oh. the same time. Um, yeah, my last piece was I straightened out, you know, I became an actor and did all that in Chicago and changed everything. And the very last piece was I wanted to move out east because I've had, talk about listening to your intuition, since I was five, I wanted to be out here. Uh, I felt my dad was here for at MIT for a short while, and I just always remember going up and down the cobblestone street. So I moved to Boston, and right about the same time, she moved to Paris. Oh, no, Boston. Is that where you're at? I'm in Boston, yeah. Oh, no. Why are you there? Because this is where I resonate. That's, I, where, that's where it's at for you? This is, I, there's something about, there's something about Boston Harbor, Understood, there's something about yes. the mountains and the ocean, and I am having such a great time. Since I moved, I felt very landlocked in the Midwest, and I realized that was the last piece of that, you know, soldier messaging. It was more like, stay near the family, you know, raise the kids right by the grandparents. And I did it, but after 20 years of that, I couldn't take it anymore. I just needed the, there's more of an, ex, I feel more expansive out here in that there's just more area, there's mountains, there's, um, you know, there's so many things to do. And I feel like there's more of a collaboration between the states out here where you can work in so many different areas that it was just, um, it didn't have the same oppression. It felt very heavy to me in the Midwest, and it feels much lighter out here. And I think that has that has everything to do, and for every person, it's different. I mean, it's a great place to live and, and raise kids, but uh, a lot of people are are leaving. I'm sure you've read all that, that there has been almost like an exodus out of certain areas because people are looking for more sun. They're looking for they're looking for, 
the sea. They're looking for somewhere looking for hills. You know, they're all looking. So a lot of people are changing location to find where they resonate best. And that's the most important thing. Yes. Yeah, and people obviously like to... you're in a beautiful place as well. Oh, well, I wouldn't say that exactly. I love California. However, um, chained to the desert so far out here in El Centro. It's, um, always hot and sunny where the, <laughs> where the, uh, sun spends the winter. <laughs> That's the city well, motto, actually. Do you like it? Well, I like living in hell every now and then. Sure. It's warm. <laughs> it doesn't get too cold at all. And uh, I get cold very easily. So I'm not sure if I could move out to the East Coast anytime soon. Well, I hear you on that part, but I'm just finding lots of tea and, Multi, many, many layers. Yeah, but you dig it out there, so it's all good. I have a friend that lives out, out in the woods, out somewhere in New Jersey out there, and he loves it. So I think everyone needs to find themselves somewhere eventually in time, and for him, it was out in the woods. Oh, did I lose you? Oh, I might have lost my guest, folks. Diane, are you still there? You might have lost her. Oh, and she's gone. Caught dropped, it says. Well, that's not good, folks. It's not good at all. Let's see what's going on. Hopefully she calls back. If not, still more to talk about here before I wrap it up. By the way, this is episode 32 for those who are curious. Episode 32. Some of you are quietly listening live right now in your cubicles. I know some of you are. You got those earbuds in. Try not to get the attention of your, of your, um, ever so annoying coworker. Thanks for being here, by the way. Always a special thank you to my EOD brother and out there, the explosives unit. My deepest respect and gratitude for sure. Oh, that's not good. I see what's going on. Skype is automatically updating itself. And this is the first time I've ever seen that happen during a, a call. Wow. That's not, that's not nice at all. Skype is very naughty today. I'm, I'm sorry about that, folks. I guess I'll cut to some music and I'll return in a second here. I'll be right back, folks. Stay tuned. All right, now we are back on here. And my goodness, the internet connection went down, unfortunately. I'm sorry about that. It's not a problem. It's uh, That's just the way of the world today, isn't it? Nothing really works the way you want it to. I couldn't agree more. Certain programs in particular. <laughs> mm, yes, it's unfortunate. And actually this first the first Skype actually started updating updating itself and it signed me out and then the internet went down. So Oh yeah. Well, it isn't yeah. it isn't the first time I've had this this challenge. So uh I started I just started laughing. I said, yeah, you know what? And the retrograde is over, Michael. So this should actually not be happening. We had our six-planet retrograde, and that was done Wednesday. Oh, this is the little after. Here's our little after effect. Yes, those those damn after effects still lingering in in the air. But we (laughs) were. Exactly. I wanted to talk to you about the Akashic Records. However, we we didn't really get to touch upon that. Well, what I can tell you is it was a. Kind of, I've just been intrigued by it for years. It sounded to me, and this is just my take on it. When I was first hearing about it, it sounded to me like something that was. I, I've been to a lot of the metaphysical events across the country, including you know, conscious living and new life and new living and all the different big events across right. the country. And you know, there's always the psychics. And um, 
but what started emerging was the Akashic Records readers, and that's the one that really got my attention. So I went to take the course with uh, Linda Howe, who did write the book, who's uh, now a Hay House author. And again, I do a lot of stuff based on a whim, and it just seemed like the right thing to do. I had a week free. She, she was offering a course in Chicago, and I went. And it was absolutely fascinating. And, and the reason I'm so attracted to it is that it's your book of life. And because that's kind of tied to my entire purpose, which is to help people uncover these their gifts and their purpose and their life's work and their passion and get back to this juicy love it living, that the Akashic Records are um, supposedly as if there is a book almost, you know, in kind of in your mind's eye, a book. And I always, for some reason, I always think of it as kind of sparkling and, you know, beautiful uh, little fairy dust is flying out of it. And in that book, is your course. How did you plan this lifetime to be? Which contracts do you have? Who are you working things out with? When is it that you're going to have, you know, go through your hero's journey and, and come back to your discovery again about what it is you really came here to do? And and how do you find out for yourself what it means and live a happy, fulfilled life? And supposedly we wrote all this down. And in some cases, in the Akashic Records, you know, some people have agreed that they're going to go through very difficult times, have huge, difficult, difficult lessons, for example, like with addiction or people who have been just randomly victimized or hurt in different ways. And they did all that very much supposedly on purpose in order to learn very, very specific things. So it gets into not only how we agreed to have these experiences, uh, which lessons are our key lessons, and that's the part I usually key in on with the Akashic Records, uh, that we have. And I found that there's a palette of life, life lessons, and we're all working on the same palette but different lessons. And so the lessons show up kind of in a thread underneath your life as to what you're supposed to be accomplishing. And then, um, and then these Akashic Records are how you're going to progress. And so I found them to be um, fascinating, uh, phenomenally helpful. And when I do my walking meditations, I'm not even sure what, what the last thing is we were talking about. We were kind of talking about meditating and getting into our intuition. Oh, yes. But I find that when I am doing the walking meditation, I literally go into the records myself. And I'll, if I have a specific question or if I'd like to kind of check in and see how I'm doing, I get very clear and specific feedback about, you know, what it is I should be doing as a next step or if I am doing a procrastination dance, which I know we can all do, you know, or if I'm just working like I think we left off talking about doing things that are not really productive. Very and, yeah, um, counterproductive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Counterproductive and and I and and a lot of times I get feedback on self-sabotage because um we all can do it. It's very easy to not take action, but because we're in the physical environment, in this physical world, not on the other side, uh, our action and how we progress and the kind of um, con contribution that we're making in integrity is what I found to be the only thing that counts. There's only two things that count in this entire life that we have, and that's number one, did you love what you're doing in the moment, at this time, you know, people that you're with, any experience, if you got, if you got that love it vibration going on, you are 100% on track. And then the other is, am I just learning a big, fat, hairy lesson? And taking those as our two measures, I kind of tie that into my Akashic Records readings. And that's what I, uh, I'm i able to share with a lot of people when I do talk with them and can give people input 
on um, on things that are coming across from the Akashic Records, and it, it's just really fascinating. And I do a lot of that across the country. And, and one in particular, I'll give you an example. I was I was talking to a lady, and I think we were in Ohio, and uh, she came in, and, and she was kind of all starry-eyed, and she said, oh, I just met the love of my life, um, and I just want to touch base with you on the Akashic Records and see where I'm at. And so I, I opened them up, and Linda, Linda has a prayer, which is a really interesting way to access your Akashic Records, and this prayer is very specific on the things that you're supposed to say, how you kind of move yourself out of the way so that everything that's coming to you is from the highest level of spirits and 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 source. And so I go through this uh, little uh, prayer and I'm doing it and I'm opening up this woman's records and the, these words, I literally was seeing words and they were like, okay, just write this down. I'm like, I'm sorry, I have to write this down. And it says, get out, <laughs> you know, be aware, stop. And I said, okay, so I'm getting this. You're talking about this man that you are totally in love with and I expected to hear, oh, you know, fantasy life, living in a castle, dancing around, being happy. But I was getting like beware notices for her. And I said, okay, so what's going on? Tell me um, a little bit more about the situation because whatever it is, you are getting the most clear warning I've ever heard. And she goes, well, I, I met this person. He's in London right now. He wants me to basically sell my house and we're thinking I'm going to move all my stuff over and go stay with him there before I sell my house. She goes, I think I'll go stay with him for a couple of months. And then I find out he, um, talking about it a little more, he is, uh, ex militia that he has, uh, PSTD so badly that he's on like five medications oh, God. that he is. Yeah. And that he's also, um, Oh, get this. He's an ex assassin. Oh, how lovely. <laughs> and I thought, I thought maybe I was getting a false reading on this. But what I said, and then kind of the end of the day, I said, okay, I understand that you have great strong feelings for this person, but if you do go to London, I'm telling you, you might not come back. Wow. I don't know if anyone will be able to find you. And, you know, she had a son. She had, a, I think, a like a 19-year-old son, someone who was just out of the house. And I said, I'm not sure anyone's going to be able to find you if you go there. So if you have to pursue this relationship, what you need to do is make sure this person who has a very troubled background and is, and is involved in the killing arts yeah, comes here. Um, I'm not sure yeah, if that's you know a I mean? good decision. So, yeah, so I'm like, make sure he comes here so that he can have your friends and family in support of you and then explore that relationship. So I kind of had to have, you know, a, a, I kind of had to give her a, a good swift kick in the pants and say, sure. you know, if you, if you do that, I'm just telling you right now that you are going to be 100% in danger. And so it was just one of those things where I started to doubt myself for a minute and whether I, I wanted to be in agreement. I wanted to go in agreement with her, but those records are very loud and usually very, very clear about, and her lesson was about being blindsided. And she brought up three other example examples. She just felt so strongly about, you know, certain things that she blindly went to someone who ended up hurting her. And she went to this uh, funny, funny part about the story is she also went to, um, I think there's the show botched where one of the surgeons and I, and mm. probably brings, probably controversial, but she went to one of the surgeons on that show because she wanted to have a certain procedure done and he ended up botching her. I'm sorry. It was kind of one of those things where she thought that because he had celebrity status that this surgeon was probably unable to do what, she wanted to have done well because he's so distracted with his TV show. So it was one of those things where she was of the perception that things were going to go the way they were supposed to 
because she was living in a bit of a fantasy about life instead of looking at the hardcore reality that, you know, it's just a man and he might be very distracted and maybe he didn't do a good job with her on whatever the case was. And she felt like she had no access to him and no recourse because his show is taking most of his time. So it's just one of those things where her life lesson was became really clear about not being grounded, not looking at all sides of a story and being able to understand what's really going on and also going blindly into these uh, fantasy situations that were going to probably hurt her. And thank goodness, as far as I know right now, she's doing very well and this, that relationship has ended. That's good. Um, I was just about so, to ask, whatever <laughs> happened to this gentleman, is he somewhere behind bars? Uh, not that I know of, but he um, was unable, he did not decide to hear. And that would have been the only, when she refused to go there, he, I think, my guess is that he might have a bit of a record. So uh, I don't think he was able – I don't think he wanted to come to this country. Yeah, so, if you're a convicted uh, felon, you're not going to come over here. I don't think they're going to let you in. No, so, they don't let you do um, that. Yeah. No. no. So anyway, so those are the kind of uh, things where the records are about – it's your book of life. And it's just fascinating how um, they – it isn't – you know, I say this is the gym, you know, this is the workout place. We're working out all these issues here. This isn't the spa where you get to just – most people don't come here to rest and relax. They come here to work out these very specific things with these cast of characters that come in to bring it to our – to bring all issues to our attention. So, yes, so that's uh, a little bit about the records. Nice. And I, I don't always bring in life coaches or inspirational speakers. However, I thought we could all – I guess we could all use some words of positivity from someone like yourself. Yeah, well, that's where the fourteen shortcuts come in. I know that I know that my uh, um, my perspective is also very very much grounded in in this world, not just in the paranormal, but um, but I think it's kind of cool to combine both. That's the part that's always fascinating to me. Um, of the four quadrants: the mental, emotional, spiritual, physical. Most people. Um, and I've been doing this across the country, I actually put them on like a little bit of a measurement tool and I'll say, okay, ask all these specific questions. You know, how are you doing in the mental plane, which is your work and your contracting type of work or whether you're pursuing your passion and people give me scores, you know, one to 10. It's kind of like putting your paddles up, you know? And uh, so right. we do a one to 10 on that. And then we look at the mental plane or we look at the um, emotional plane that has a lot to do with, are you feeling loved? Are you feeling supported? Which ties into relationships. It also could just be with friends and family. And then we look at the spiritual, which is, are you connected to the higher, your higher self? Are you living in your highest, greatest good, your spirit, your highest intention? And then the other part is of course the physical, are you actually getting out of your chair and moving? And uh, are you feeling good? Because the closest uh, part of source that we have is our body, and our body is always giving us information. So as we're connected to source, the body is talking about what's off most of the time. Well, it's when it's good, it's good. But when it's bad, you know, like if your knees hurt, you're not moving forward. And, you know, we go back into the whole, you know, story about, you know, Louise Hay and how every part of the body is connected to to a physical and most a physical and also a spiritual healing usually. And so I like to measure people on all four quadrants and um, what's kind of cool Diane, me, that I found across the, let yeah. me, let me stop you there. Let me ask you a question here. Kind of random. Let's hypothetically speaking here. Let's say you have Caitlyn Jenner and she came to you for, I guess, guidance. What exactly would you tell her? What, what a great, 
great example. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. She would have had – yeah, that's a great one. Thank you for that. No worries. You see, she would have had two completely different charts, you know, especially with her new book out. From before, she she knew and supposedly told Chris that she was having gender issues. And in the book, she supposedly had admitted this long before they got married and had had, you know, was with a high, was with her high school sweetheart after high school, all of which felt false the entire time. So that would have been her chart. And this is what's so interesting. Most people have too high, too low. Yes. So in the high chart, obviously physical, Olympic athlete. Can't get a better physical <laughs> reading than that one. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then we would have her mental. Is she actually doing what she should be doing? And I would say in some ways probably on track because in many ways that, you know, as Bruce Jenner, she was a, a very inspirational person, I think, and was, I remember on the box of Wheaties, there was Bruce Jenner's yeah. face, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, I mean, really probably was pursuing path, you know, in her life's work. On the emotional, probably would have had a zero. Understood. My guess is right. that that emotional connection was off because the two parts of her chart, which were so off, was the emotional and then the spiritual. Because in her spiritual connection, she knew that she was having gender issues probably way, way back. Everything about her life was inauthentic on the emotional plane and on the spiritual plane. So as she moves into Caitlin, her higher self, which uh, probably, you know, we both are have masculine and feminine combined. Each lifetime, yes. we get to pick a different role. Well, let's say her last last lifetime was female, and it came in super strong. So this lifetime, she was resonating more with that, but came in into a male body in order to deal with that, again, the contrast between male and female. And because now she probably is living as her highest version of herself, and you can just see it on her face, happy, glowing. Um, it's challenging and difficult because there's, you know, that's a that's a a huge awareness that she's bringing to the world, which is yeah. that you can have a gender change and be more fulfilled, more uh, just be glowing in your vibrational energy by having gone through such a public, hugely public change and bringing that. You know, it goes back to the Shirley MacLaine. It's Shirley so MacLaine, wild. The first though. one. It's so yeah, wild. Yeah, standing there going, all... oh, I'm mm-hmm. with spirit, you know, and so she's doing the same thing. So I think now her quadrants would all be high. That would be my guess. It's a very interesting and sensitive topic to discuss here on the air. And I, I mentioned this a couple of weeks back, a couple of shows ago. I mentioned how, how I, I guess, difficult that would be if, if that was my father. I was talking to this, uh, to a caller. And I said, I'm not sure if I could fully accept uh, Bruce uh, turning into Caitlin if that was my father and I was going through something like Kendall Jenner is going through. I- I'm not sure if I could um, accept that. It's just, it's just kind of outrageous. Well, that gets into a life lesson issue. But maybe over time, because that's that would still be my father. So, you know, you're going to always love your parents, or at least I am. So I, I am well, understanding too. What a good lesson, too. though, it brings right. forward. Uh, the, don't you think the lesson is about expectations and identity? I think so. And if the lesson is, and this is where I love to look everything from, you know, this kind of higher perspective on this alignment. You know, you're leveraging alignment of those four quadrants. And what's kind of cool is that all, the kids, the kids get to say, my expectation is that dad looked like this. But let's be honest, dad was the nurturer. Dad drove them around. Dad took them to the playdates. 
Dad got their costumes for Halloween. Right. Mom was busy working. So sure. they had a lot of cross – their roles were, were very polarized in that he was much more the nurturer in that family, and Chris was much more the – had a very strong uh, – she identifies very strong with her masculinity, and and in there, especially with that relationship, he was allowed to be the supporter. He's the one who stayed home and literally raised the last two kids and loved it. And so, what what's interesting for the kids to look at is how what does that say when your expectations are disappointed, shaken up, flipped on their head, which they were. Oh, yeah. Dad is supposed to do this and have a penis and, you know, have all these things for me. He's the guy. He's the dude. And now dad is 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 a totally, you know, our our nurturing is moving into his complete femininity. And and it's really if the expectations and I think most of us get caught up on this, if our expectations are disappointed, we get hurt, upset, angry, and feel like the rug is pulled out from but if we had no expectations sure. yeah. and-, and we said Who's his higher self than our loving, our loving ability to love another human would just say, this person is fulfilled, therefore I'm happy for them. And it's just about that we get all caught up in our expectations. So, and judgment. And judgment is, I like to live in the zero judgment zone. Yeah, exactly. I I don't want to, I don't want to judge anyone. However, I just feel it's a little unusual to see someone go through this process in such a later stage in life. And of course, I guess it's a little shocking because we all knew a, a different, a different, uh, a different character. We all, when we think yeah. of Bruce Jenner, we think of the Olympic, the Olympic hero, the man on the Wheaties box. We don't, we don't think of him as Caitlyn Jenner all of a sudden. But hasn't it changed because of what he's gone through? Has it? Don't you think it's changed a little bit for you, me, and maybe the world because of this? I also blame the Kardashian family, to be honest with you, too. It seems like they're a little bit toxic, to be honest with you. And once again, I don't like to be so judgmental, but it seems like every man in a certain radius of that family, they just become something else. Yes, but Michael, what we're talking about, this is so funny. These we're are different. Talking about the yeah. American dream. Aren't it, we? it really, because yes, this is the, yes, this is American living, the American dream per se. And I'm, yes. I'm so glad we're going back to that because it's very true. I mean, like I said, life is short. And 50 stars to blind your eyes and 13 stripes to hypnotize. It's very true. It's, it's very true. We, we and are. They epitomize. Yeah. And this is not with judgment. This is just kind of speaking out a little bit about the factual part of it is that they epitomize what is wrong with the American dream. Because when you have to get engaged in a stadium, and invite television stations in addition to 10,000 of your best friends, there's something wrong with that because that cannot be authentic. Most people are getting engaged in a park and someone drops down on a knee or I was in first time engaged when we were having sushi and all of a sudden a ring came out. Hmm. And, you know, right. there was no stadium. And then having one of them has a mobile office in a in a motor, you know, in a probably a $2 million motor home because he can't seem to sit in his office in his house. Okay, that's just what the American dream does is it's all about the pursuit of the gold. And not talking about just the gold, you know, tying sure. the whole thing together here, but right. it's about pursuing something that truly has no value. 
some of the happiest people I know have very little in the in in the aspects of of, of uh, possessions have modest homes and they just did a study in Harvard the Harvard study they studied the longest study on happiness in the world ever and they studied people for over 20 years to measure who was the happiness happiest and at the end of the 20 years what they found out is it was not about possessions. It was not about wealth. It was not about the size of their home. It was not about anything except the fullness of the relationships. The ones who felt the strongest connection with friends, family, significant others, measured their happiness over 20 years and measured their life to be successful at the highest level. And they were the ones that sustained it. The ones who had the who who went after the glitz or were traveling every single solitary week because they had to be the top consultant, they were the least happiest and they had more broken relationships. So it's the fact again. I I think the measuring stick stick is all messed up. And for the Kardashians, to me, they don't seem to be very happy. I would I say. Yeah, I don't to, think they, they are. Stop, I I think most of them are probably suffered from some sort of mental illness. To be honest with you. Some sort of form of it, I, I must say. You're so funny. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. Well, you know, that's an interesting question. So uh, what type, what do you think it might be? Curious. Well, I, I don't exactly know what what mental illness they're suffering from, but perhaps body dysmorphic uh, disorder, uh-huh. if I'm guessing. If you're going to put me on the spot, my, my first thought is, is that. Um, everyone in Hollywood seems to be obsessed with some sort of surgery. Um, yeah. It seems like everyone, everyone's obsessed with plastic surgery, Botox and um, so forth and so forth. The list goes on. It's This is a strange trend in Hollywood. And since the Kardashians are front and center everywhere, it seems like they have the, the public eye's attention, obviously. And they're quite influential with the mainstream and as you know, that's the lower common denominator. Yeah, I I happen to agree with you actually on that. In that, um, it, they 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 don't even appreciate not at all the beauty from inside. The no. beauty inside. I mean, that's what it is, right? Yeah, I mean, none of these people should have actually been altering their appearance. They were perfectly fine before, but it's that Hollywood um, yeah. stigma where you're influenced to do this or that. Right, and it's just like the American almost- dream. I know, and it's all about also it's not just the American dream anymore. It's about, you know, it's how to look at least 20 years younger, and if you don't, there's something wrong with you. That too. And and I will say out here in the, in the, in the Northeast, I'm finding that people are very authentic and more real, and I appreciate that. I, re- I do that. Uh, it's not about the outfits. Uh, there's, it's less fancy. It's more out, healthy and outdoorsy. Mm-hmm. And naturally fit. And I personally resonate with that so much more. And, uh, I find, cause it reflects to me an inner beauty. And I can really see that in, I can see it in, in someone's eyes. And, and that's the part that gets me jazzed. So, um, it is kind of, the only part I will say in this is I try to say it with love and without judgment. But what made me kind of sad that those young girls, um, had to change their faces and their bodies before they were like even 20. That they're, um, it, to me, that is just, it's just not authentic. And it, it's, it's also really moves away from the number one thing we should be doing is being grateful to be here, 
happy to be here and happy to be me. And and I, I'm afraid that that's exactly the opposite of what we're supposed to be achieving. If we're going to look at the Akashic Records and go back up and say, okay, are we supposed to be modifying our body and adding yeah. 20 pounds of fat to our lips before at 19 years old and adding a fake bum and um, and double D's? I I would probably think I. Well, that's I the don't same. Think that's what we came here to do. That's what I'm saying about Bruce Jenner. Oh, I, the difference in that, and, and I would just comment that I feel like, uh, his authenticity was relating to his female, the female part of himself. He didn't love himself. Yes, he went. I don't, I don't think, I don't think he loved himself though. And I don't think these people love themselves because you wouldn't alter your appearance so much if you did. Oh, I, I agree with that. Yeah, they're not, they weren't loving, they weren't loving themselves. And that's the first most vital thing in life. You have to love yourself first. Yeah, that's the question I ask everybody. You really do. Give one to 10. Yeah, if one to 10, how much do you love yourself? You really got to love yourself. And I I love myself at a full 10. And it took a while to get to this point. I love hearing that. That is such a great thing to hear. I I ask this question across the country because we're all very good at evaluating these kind of things. I know it sounds weird to put that kind of quantitative aspect with such a deeply important qualitative question, but what I find most people say is it's somewhere about a four and they're working on it. Mm, that's and not I, good. And I, and I appreciate that because they're trying and they're saying, you they're know, trying. I want they're to. They're trying, right. Yeah. I, and, and I've been and there and so, I've, I've been there. It, it takes a long time to, to feel discomfortable in your own skin. I, I get it. it. It's a work in progress every day, but I am fully comfortable is. in my skin and I do love myself very much. I call it a party in your own shoes when you right. know that like your shoes are so, I mean, you within your shoes are so awesome and you're having that party with yourself and I have it. I, I can say I used to be at a one and I'm up at a solid 10 because I, I have gone through so many processes and I've learned this tapping process that gets rid of all of those negative self messages and every self-sabotage part. I've learned a technique to get rid of it. And once I started working with mm-hmm. this tapping, are you familiar with EFT and tapping? I sure am. Okay. Well, I found this combination of tapping plus gestalt plus forgiveness work plus NLP plus all these different things. And I started using it and I'm using it on other people now. And we got stuck. A lot of us got stuck in the messages. So let's go to the message. Can we use, can we keep talking about the Kardashians? Cause I of always course. find it kind of fun. Sure. If we go back to the messages that got stuck inside. Okay, so when we're, we're imprinted, and this is something they've known about this with child psychology, the, the experts in this area from the 70s have known, they've really known 60s and 70s, go back to even to Freud, that we were, we are imprinted when we're growing up. So all the information that comes in, comes in as fact until we're almost 14 years old. And that is from authority figures, people, it could be parents, it could be teachers, it could be coaches, anybody who has some type of influence. When they say things to kids, it comes in as a fact. So the message that clearly got in for, let's say, those the, the young Kardashian girls, um, Kylie and, and those, I can't remember, well, I can't remember their girl's name. But let's say the message that got in is, right. you're not good enough. Just being a beautiful, young, teenage girl is not good enough. Because if she was good enough, you wouldn't need to do anything to change that. You would understand that feeling good, feeling loved, just as you are, just sitting here right now, doing nothing or eating a bag of potato chips or whatever you might be doing, 
you are good enough. You are loved and completely supported by the universe. And if we knew that at a core level, none of this stuff would be going on. Very true. And, and so what's missing for most of us that these core messages, and it's about three key areas. One, The one area is love for self, which we were talking about. And there's different ways in which that comes forward. But either there's some aspect of your love for self that is not high, it's not working for you. The second part is love of the tribe. So the other part of the message that could have gotten in there, and the tribe means anyone that you looked to originally for nurturing, or it could be extended to friends, but mostly it's family. And you feel like that tribe is not going to love you for who you are Mm. because either you didn't do something right Mm -hmm. or you didn't perform right or you didn't get high enough grades or there's something about you that if you go too far, they're out of there and they're going to abandon you. So then you get into abandonment issues and all those types of things. And then the third part is love and support from the universe. And that's the one that has to do with I'm safe, there is enough, I'm going to be able to be, I'm going to be fine, and I'm going to be cared for from Mother Earth, the planet, and from your own higher source pulling in and serving your needs as you need. And those are the three key areas where we get all messed up because they're not whole, they're not full and rich and whole and complete. And that's where we get into issues of, um, and I, I deal with this all day because a lot of my, I work with private clients and see people across the country and they'll come forward and they'll say, you know, what I heard is when I was little, uh, just one, one quick example, I mm-hmm. was talking to a man in, in somewhere in um, Fargo and he came to me and he said, look, I, I don't know what you do, but I want to experience it. So we went back in his past and he said um, he was a kid and he had a cousin come in and stay with them for a while. And his father was like all into the cousin and said, oh, you're such an awesome kid. And, you know, look at what he can do. And Johnny can throw the ball. Well, what happened is Fred, the guy who was sitting in front of me, said, he goes, yeah, I heard that Johnny was better than me. So I took a ball and I threw it through the window of the house, his own house. Well, his dad came out and said, what's wrong with you? Why can't you be good like Johnny? And, you know, you, he said, you're a bad kid. And so what happened is the dad got really mad because the window was broken. He didn't really mean that he was a bad kid. The dad was having a bad day. But Fred's walking around with this message inside that he's not good enough, that he's not ever going to be as good as the next guy. And he's experienced a lot of failure growing up, or growing up, growing up and also in his work life. He never felt like he could be a winner because he was never going to be as good as Johnny. So we went in, got rid of that message, cleared the whole thing out, cleared out the scene, and he finished understanding that he was working from that subconscious message of not being a good, not being a good kid. And it clicked out and he no longer had to make sure that that message kept coming real. And so after that, you know, we kept in touch and he now is doing better at work. He got a promotion. You know, he feels like he is um, happier from the inside out because he didn't have to walk around with those subconscious messages, which get programmed when we're kids. And, you know, it's one of the things where that's just happening to all of us, unfortunately. Oh yes. We carry these lessons. We, are taught by our parents and going back to the whole, uh, well, going back to your experience, really, you actually had to face a very difficult role where you played both mommy and daddy. And uh, how many kids do you have, by the way? You said you had three. I have three. Yeah, three. And, and I, I'm sure they're all adults now, correct? 25, 19, and 
and 14. And 14. <laughs> I always have to think about that. Well, I don't, yeah, the last one's always the difficult one, right? <laughs> uh, no, actually, the first one was, uh, as far as challenging, oh, the I'd first say one? the first one was a little harder. Oh, that's so funny. So Yeah, though I think the last one gets off easy cuz you're I mean, first of all, you're seasoned and secondly, you're exhausted. So But that's the baby you know of the family. The <laughs> sure, but you know, that's the baby. You want to you want to take care of that one the most sometimes. Oh, I don't know. I think they all have their own personalities and I found um, you know, it's so, you know how it is. It's different with all of us based on what we came here to learn, but uh my first one was the most challenging cuz she was super she was she's an empath. And she's super sensitive and was unable almost – she was an indigo child. And so she was having challenges as a little kid trying to filter out, you know, noises. And she couldn't wear anything – nothing could go over her head. And she, a bath, you know, she was all sensitive to soaps. And everything was everything was hard for her to really take in. I hate to say, like, the ener- some of the, the darker energy of this world was really hard for her. And I was so busy trying to run a company that that was – that was a bit tough, um, trying to handle a kid when it first, and also your first, my first one, I didn't know what I was doing. So I got a lot better at it. Um, and as I've done my evolution and got rid of all those messages that were stuck inside me, mm-hmm. I've been able to share all those tools with my kids. So, and they trust me, they use them against me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's the problem. They they know what, you know, they know basically we talk about our formula and they're like, mom, this is off formula for me. So you can't really ask me to go out to dinner with you <laughs> because you know it's off formula. Um, I'm like, okay. You know what's weird? <laughs> now you. By yeah. the way, I, I looked down at, at the book. I have your book right here. And the first word I, I looked at, I looked down and I see the word formula. And then you say the word formula. <laughs> that was, that was creepy. I, funny but i use the formula word because uh people get it but also i find that there are winning formulas for almost everything and if you can figure out what your formula is for i mean you could apply this to anything those formulas and i'm talking about things like um it could have any it could have something to do with like the things that make you happy like okay what makes you know like if if you're an adventure seeker and you spend several weeks inside your house and you're not getting out, you're you're against your formula. You really need to do something that allowed you to explore, even if it's 15, 20 minutes. But there's formulas that I find for almost everything. So we talk about we talk about things in formulas because everyone's resonating differently. Sure. And my formula is going to be way different than your formula. Right. And some people are you know have this like high energy formula, and some people will say, and I also. I mean, I'm kind of nutty, Michael, so I I will come up with stuff. Part of my formula is I go inside what I call the box. Oh, you're nutty? And I have, yeah. You're telling me that? <laughs> wow. <laughs> you're good. Well, I'm I'm original. I like to keep things working for mm-hmm. me. So I go inside this, like, literally, I think of myself inside of an acetate box, and I'll say, you can't talk to me because I'm in the box now. Mm. And that means... As if I haven't, if I've gone, you know, I'm invisible or they can't get in this box. And that way it works from, it works. And I think it's a really helpful tool because I was hearing mom every five minutes for about 20 years. And it gets, I never had the chance to have any space. I never was able to do even a half an hour alone was rare. And so I would have to like create this fake image of a box so that I knew Nobody can talk to me, no one can bug me, and no one can ask me for anything. And that way I could calm down, I get centered, I felt like I was grounded once again, 
And when I was done, and it was funny because everyone really honored it. If I said I'm going in the box, nobody would talk to me. It was great. That's funny. So little silly little things like that w- was a working formula, and it still is because. Sometimes it's just really nice when you're super active and super busy. It's just nice to be alone or feel it, it like really you is. Re- yeah, you know, resonate mm-hmm. with yourself. Get back to who you are. Some people forget to do that, to take some time away from everyone else and sort of just center yourself and go to your own little quiet place. And I'm glad you did that with your kids. Uh, most people forget to do that sort of thing. Yeah, and some people, and I, this is one of the lessons, the 14 lessons, uh, 14 shortcuts for happy living. One of them uh, that most people forget is about staying in your own circle. And that's one of the biggest lessons I find that people um, do not pay attention to. And I even have a, a couple clients where they would call me and get this. They would even call me for a coaching session. And one client was in the car with two kids in the car. And I just said, are we, you know, we're going to talk about her lessons and talk about very important things for her life and do visioning and and start tapping on her. And she's calling me driving kids to soccer and ballet. And I thought to myself, okay, now this is a person who definitely has no idea that she has a circle because her entire life was about, she was working and she took the took care of the kids to the point where it was ad nauseum and she could not even take a private coaching call to herself. Even if I don't care if she's in a car, maybe she has to go to a parking lot, you know, and just lock the doors of the car. That's fine. But she couldn't even take the time to have a private phone call. And so, um, you know, we had to talk about the fact that she really needed to understand that since you're never in your own circle and you're always in your daughter's circle, your husband's circle, your business partner's circle, and then your you know, whoever else's friends, moms, dads, she had no understanding that her entire universe is the circle that is literally around you, you know, within five, if you stretch your arms out, you know, it's about what, five to six feet and take a little uh, 12 inches past that, that's your entire universe. And there's nothing else you need to do in this lifetime except get that universe happy, yummy, and exciting and passionate for you. And then you can extend and contribute after that work. So it goes into the whole inside-out concept. Right. And most people don't even understand that the universe that's the most important one is the one that's that they're the pranic cord through the center. And it's that energy within those five to six feet that is your sole purpose of being here. And if all of us were so elated, like, you know, party in your shoes, having a great time, doing things we loved and were very passionate about and took time to ourselves and all the things we've been talking about, we would have such, I think we would have such better experience of life it'd be and much more meaningful. change. Yeah, it'd be much more yeah. meaningful and fulfilling to have that experience. But most people will never, ever get that sort of accomplishment or, or feeling of accomplishment at all, though. It's quite sad. And that's when we go back to the American dream possibly killing us. Right. Because what we're going after is outside that circle. It has everything yeah. to do and with the, it has to do with possessions. Yeah, and there's that illusion when you see your neighbor and you see you see through their window and you see the family and you see smiles and laughter. However, we don't exactly know what's going on behind closed doors. No, we don't. And uh, that's that's the part that's so interesting because I think it would be fun to do a study. Now, I haven't done this study, but it would be fun to do a study and to see 
and they did it kind of with the Harvard study, but to actually do that direct correlation between gone after, you know, wealth, power, and possessions, and then relate that to secure, happy relationships. And this is where I love to look at the, the, the kids. You can usually tell about the health and the wellness of the family by any one of the children. You know, if the children mm-hmm. are focused, basically good kids, have really good sense of integrity and are able to function and have, you know what I mean, they're, they're not into all the bad stuff. But what I've seen, and this is, I can only say this because I've always lived in the high, I lived in a very high-rent neighborhood in, in Chicago for mm-hmm. many years, and I never felt like I resonated with it because they, because I couldn't find the authenticity. But those kids were doing things that the parents had no idea. They were acting out in many ways, doing all the stuff, of course, you shouldn't be doing, which is drugs and, and, and having sex way too young and, and bullying. And worshiping and Satan, cyber yes. Bullying. Right. And I think it goes back to the American. We're going to put it all back on Joking, the American dream. Joking, of course. Right? Yeah, the American dream. There we go. But that—that's kind of the the current theme today. <laughs> but if we if we do, and then the World Happiness Report, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but um, it's the United Nations put that out. Oh yeah. And the they've UN. been doing it now for a few years, and they measured happiness as an output of each country and trying to actually do some type of measurement of, you know, life satisfaction, uh, wellness, um, relationships, connection, and they call it the World Happiness Report. Guess which country was probably the lowest, one of the, one of the lowest. Mm, which one? Oh, could it be the United States, maybe? <laughs> well, I, gee, I wonder. You don't say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first one they did, we were, I think we were one of the... Um, of all the countries that they studied and they, they did most of the countries in the world, I think we are like the lowest, one of the top 10 lowest. Well, that does not for, surprise me at all. Yeah. Yeah. They should, they should go play more Pokemon Go. <laughs> yeah. Well, it well, got people moving, didn't well, it? Well, here's the thing. It, the reason why I bring that up is because I read that according to this here, according to the University of Wisconsin, they're saying that people that play Pokemon Go, those people are, are happy people, and that's the finding of media researchers who leaped to study the widely popular mobile game shortly after its release. It seems like they were more positive, friendly, and physically active, as you just mentioned now. So Pokemon Go, it, it's a cure for, for some out there. Wow. I never thought I'd say that. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Let's look at that for a second. So maybe, maybe one of the reasons is because, you know, the the four pieces of the happiness formula, you know, is, I'll just throw those out there, right. energy, motion, connection, and love. So you got the energy because you're exploring, right? And you have to go to all these like crazy weird places and parks looking for <laughs> wherever they put I, I don't, I, I don't play the game. The only reason why I, I really know about it is reading all these stories about how people were mugged while, while they go look for some Pokemon somewhere. Oh, no, I didn't hear about that. There's been all sorts of, of nonsense. Wow. It's interesting. Well, what I yeah. see is people seeking adventure, going to these places, and I see the movement, which is great, mm-hmm. and that they kind of, uh, they love it because it feels like you're got a win, you know, you get more. I don't, I don't play myself, but, I know that the kids were running around for a while. There's full, there's fully grown adults uh, that play it. Even even men 
past the age of, of 50 are, are playing it as well. It's it's kind of outrageous to say the least. <laughs> the Pokemon well, is very is strong. It, it gets you up and moving, and that's that's a good thing. It gets the blood flowing. I I'm, I'm sorry to hear about the uh, the mugging part of it because I I think oh, that yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's the dangers. The downside. Of, yeah, that's the dangers of of any time you're going to put your head down and text uh, strangers around you. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But hey, it's beating the diabolical diabetics. Um, well, it's 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 preventing people from becoming diabolical diabetics, I should say. <laughs> I guess the movement, you know, keep them moving. Yeah. Keep them yeah, moving. Keep yeah. them healthy. Uh, we only have one vehicle. We only have essentially this vehicle that we're in. So it's best to keep it moving. Oh, I couldn't. I couldn't agree with you more because um, you know it's hard. To, well, two couple things that keep that keep people happy. They found that keep people happier and healthier. You got to keep the body moving, but you also have to keep the breath moving because if you think about it, you know you can you sing and be unhappy. That's a good one. Try singing, whistling or doing anything that involves a lot of breath movement. It's one of those things where if you, if, and I've been in a choir for years and years and years, and every time we would finish, you know, rehearsal or whatever we were doing, I would feel elevated, like kind of floating out of there because it's about I breath. Know what, you know what? I know what you mean because I took a year of choir myself in high school. And, and how did you feel? I, I felt great, and I still use some of those techniques before I even come on the air. That I learned from from that woman who was teaching. I can't even remember her name now. I feel bad because she's such a sweet old lady, and um, I can't remember her name. God, I feel bad. Oh, that's okay. It'll come to you. But she was amazing on that piano. My God, she well, she's someone that you you should have definitely heard. I'm not sure why she was playing in some high school. She should be making music. In my personal opinion, she was completely talented and had some original pieces of her own. Wow. She, I guess she didn't. It's great that you'd have a mentor like that. It, yeah, I guess she didn't. She didn't realize her full potential. I guess. I guess some would say. Well, I believe at the end of the day, we all get to put ourselves through a life review. She needs a life reboot. Yeah, she needs a reboot. So when she does her review, that she'll be giving herself high marks. It's one of the. It's one of the things. Again, going back to the fact that we all know. If we put ourselves, and I like to do this with people now, so we put you, let's, let's, let's do a, a life review or a pretend life review. Okay. And I'm going to ask you, can I do one for you? Sure. You? Sure, sure. Okay. Okay. So if we're going to put you on a life review, so supposedly you've passed, right? And you're on the other side. Dead and gone. And you're, you're gone. You're, you've, you're dead. Okay. People like to say pass. That's me. Dead. Yeah, you're dead. Okay. And it was it was a it was a fast passing you didn't even know so no pain but you're on the other side and you're sitting there and someone's going to show up to meet you okay now it could be anyone it could be either a loved one who's passed or grandparents perhaps or or it could be St Peter or whoever it is for you right mm-hmm. do you have somebody in mind can you just like even imagine mm, yeah okay 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 somebody somebody you cared about let's say okay and they're going to ask you a couple questions right so they're going to say Michael right. Number one, did you love your life? Of course. So emphatically, yes? Yes. Okay. All right. So you're flying. Okay. You're already flying with colors here. Okay. Number two, Michael, did you use your gifts, your superpowers, whatever was given to you as your special gifts? I would say yes. And if I had known before of what I possessed in my younger years, I would have taken full advantage of those sort of things, but I never did. Okay. Beautiful. Okay. 
Number three, Michael, have you pursued your passion areas, whatever they might be, the things that get you kind of elated, excited, get you high on life? I would have to say not completely. Okay. Okay. Very good. But still, okay, so you get a little bit of a lower area there, but it's something to just bring your awareness to. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sure. Then they would say, did you have deep and meaningful connections with others? I'd have to say yes. Okay. And it doesn't have to be a lot. You know, it could just be certain significant others, uh, at least one hand. You know, it doesn't have to be 10, but at least, you know, at least five people in your life you truly loved and you felt loved by. Whatever yeah. number is for you. Yes? Yeah, I would have to say yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, you are totally rocking on so far. And then the last one would be, did you give back? Did you contribute? I'd say that's about 50-50. Okay. I feel like okay. I, I could do more. Okay. So this is, this is the perspective that I come from, and this is what makes me kind of, kind of different. I like to do big picture living. And after I had my Sonia awakening, I'm like, you know what? If I have 11,000 days to straighten this thing out, I'm going to figure out how to die and at the other side look back and say, gosh darn it, I did most of it extremely well, or at least I did the very best I could in all those key areas. And those are where I feel like we're going to be evaluated. So you're doing, I just have to tell you, I mean, first of all, I'm giving you like little, little air applause over here. Oh, uh, you, you did really well. Um, most people do not have, um, are not activating those areas the way they could. And I just think that it's an opportunity for us to raise our awareness and to really focus on those key things, the gift, the passion, the contribution, the connection, and then really living from that authentic open space because that really defines how your that is your authenticity. And if you're doing that, I think that's all we've got to do. And all the rest of it just kind of fades away because it's life gets really fun. If you allow it to. Like you said, sometimes we do that whole self-sabotaging type routine where we take one foot forward and two steps back. Well, that's the last piece of this life review. And I didn't ask it to you yet, oh, so I okay. will now. Go ahead. Did you, did you learn? Well, see that, you know, I, I, as a person who likes to always have the rose colored glasses on, I always focus on the positive, but there's always contrast. So the other side of it is, did you get your lesson? I would have did to you say, actually... yes, I, I have learned. Uh, quite a few different lessons in life, the good and the bad. And did you heed and make changes based on that, based on what it is that you came here to learn? I would have to say somewhat, yeah. Those changes are, mm-hmm. are still ongoing today. Right, right. And the lesson bucket, I think, does go on pretty much for the full lifetime. Yeah, it, it's all, it's an ongoing project. It is. It is. And this sometimes, chapter. um, when we have a lesson, and this is where um, if you can get rid of the emotional aspect of whatever that lesson is, like I had one of the stories in the book, and I don't know if you had the chance to read this one, but uh, it's the one everyone loves. It's I, I had a relationship with someone who was an alcoholic. Oh, yes. And, yes. Yeah, Jeff. And Jeff was a, I mean, he was cute. What can I say? He was <laughs> He was a hottie. And he had a boat, and he was had two master's degrees. So he was brilliant and very different and original and creative. But he had, as much as he had all that high side of life and that he was spontaneous and, and free-flowing and would 
basically do any crazy, wonderful thing on a whim. He also carried with him tremendous darkness, and that was through the addiction. I see, yes. Yeah. So in that relationship, I became his nurse. And I had no idea this was even in me because I had always pulled it together. I'd been everybody else's rock. But with Jeff in particular, I became a rescuer. And for the whole duration of that relationship, he took me down a road, and I went with him willingly at the time, of everything that has to do with, you know, he almost killed himself a bunch of times. He got arrested. He uh, he was so – he got so sick because of – you know, his drinking that at one point he, and this is a story that's not even in the book, but at one point we were out and he said, pull over the car. I did. And he got, he got out of the car and went down on his knees and he kind of vomited up. It looked like part of a, a body part. I mean, it looked like a stomach or something. I was like, I could, I don't know what it was, but I was like, oh my God, all I saw, I, I just knew in that moment when I was watching how sick, and I was trying to save him the whole time. So he's creating chaos trying to hurt himself. He wasn't good to his kids. He was, he was being, he, he couldn't show, he couldn't even show up for his own court cases. I mean, on time, it was, it was seeing the side of life that I didn't even Ooh, know existed. That's no good when you have a court date and you don't show up. That's a, a, a big no-no. Yeah. 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 You don't want to do that, folks. By the way, for those out there who don't know, <laughs> don't be like Jeff. <laughs> well, Jeff had, uh, Jeff was very, 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 sick with his addiction and I sucked right into it. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to save Jeff somehow. I thought I'd save Jeff. Uh, As it turns out, what, what it brought forward to me is this whole codependency. And that was such a big lesson for me because it went on. It took me almost down to my knees. I, my business started tanking. I wasn't even there for my kids because I was so busy trying to keep him from hurting himself. And so I got stuck in this thing. And then one day, as always, you know, you hit rock bottom. And I was, I just remember taking my own little meditative walk. And I said, I said, when does it stop? When does all this stop? And the weird message that came back from Claire Audio and message came back, it goes, it stops when you say it stops. I mean, I know that sounds so simple, but I just had that, like I stopped dead in my tracks. I go, you mean I can stop this anytime I want? And they're like, it stops the minute you put a boundary down. And so it was in that moment that I went back and I said, look, we can't go out anymore, you know. You want to kill yourself, and if you want to go ahead and kill yourself, you're going to have to do it on your own dime because you're not going to do it in front of me, and I'm not going to watch you. And I said, and you don't want to be here. This is every day I wake up, whether I like it or not, I get up and I take care of the pets and I take care of the kids and I go and I I, I make it happen, whether I feel like it or not. And I said, because I want to be here and I want to make this the best life I can. I said, you don't want to be here, and you're torturing me, you're torturing your kids, and you're torturing your ex. And I said, and if you're going to continue, you can do that, but you cannot include me in that formula anymore, and I'm out. And it was kind of like a, that was it. I just put that boundary down. Now, you know, not to do the whole spoiler or thing, but, you know, <laughs> well, Jeff didn't make it. You know, he didn't want to be here. And, and after I broke up with him, he, he did. He killed himself. He basically killed himself drinking yeah. um, within happens. a year to yeah. the day. So Some people um, don't so want to help themselves, and that's the problem. He... He could not deal with his own shame, and it's that vicious cycle of shame because he felt like every time he did those crazy things, he would create chaos. And when there was chaos, it was usually bad chaos, like, oh, yeah, you're 
probation officers looking for you because you didn't show up. Oh, boy. You know, stuff like that. Right. And so he would create chaos, and then he would go into the shame of the fact that he created it, and then he would dive down into this the depths of the darkest part of his life, you know, all the bad stuff that yeah. none of us want to see. And some of us don't even realize we go right down with them trying to save them and trying to get them trying to make sure they're okay. Well, you're not in your circle. You're not managing your alignment. You're not tending to yourself. You're not feeling good. None of the none of the 14 shortcuts are going on here. And I had to go through that. And I lived through it. And the here's, okay, that's the dark side. The upside is I um, became keenly aware of how to function, you know, how to work with people who have these kind of issues, who have addictions, who have, who have, who are part of addictive relationships. And it really educated me well. So, so that's I've the seen good that. news is you can I, take I, your lessons mm-hmm. and then contribute back with them. And I think that's I think that's the ultimate goal is to and really I, get it mm-hmm. and then and then use it for good. Yeah, it's true. And I, I've seen I've seen alcoholics and different relationships before and I hate to even I feel bad even mentioning this, but my own uncle at one point he was really he's still not as bad, but he was a lot worse a few years ago, and that kind of ruined his relationship with with someone he cared about uh, very much. So I I know exactly what you probably went through because I saw my uncle and his girlfriend go through it at one time or another. Yeah, and it's it's a tough one. If you have if they if anyone has that lesson, if anyone has the lesson of having how trying in this lifetime to overcome an addiction, I personally believe that might be one of the most difficult. That be one of the most challenging of life lessons uh, in that it takes so much. I mean, you really have to go to the programs, you really have to go to AA, and you really have to be part of a community that can support you because it is so tough. It is, it's really damaging, it's difficult, and it's hard to stop. And uh, with Jeff in particular, his whole life was about how not to drink, how not to take that next drink, no matter where he was, no matter what he was doing. He was always trying to come up with strategies about how not to do that behavior. And it was it was as if I couldn't even relate to that because I'm more about, okay, yeah, I got to work. I got to do this. I got to, I'm going to go, go to the beach tomorrow. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about May Fest is Sunday. I'm not thinking about, I'm fortunate. I don't have to think about how not to have that, yeah, exactly. that particular behavior. It doesn't even occur to me. Have, you know, and so I'm just lucky. So I felt very fortunate and that we all have these different levels of lessons and the difficulties of these lessons. Um, but it taught me that it, even if you have them, you know, you raise your, you go through the steps, you raise your awareness, you, you identify that you actually have whatever's going on as your lesson. And then you are taking really active steps to educate yourself change your formula a little bit so that you don't so that lesson is done set up your healthy boundaries and hopefully use it for good and i think i think that's usually one of the um one of the greatest gifts that we can do understood i am talking to my guest Diane Bischoff James author of The Real Brass Ring Change Your Life Course Now and Diane, I do want to leave you with some final words, some words of advice, and of course, go ahead and plug your your um your website and any upcoming events that you probably have. Okay. Um well my website is Diane, that's two N's and an E, Diane dot net. 
And the book is called The Real Brass Ring. And the words that I'd like to share is what the real brass ring means is that your world is filled with endless possibilities. And once you're living in authenticity, in authentically, mm-hmm. in with your true, true self, pursuing your life's work, and you grab at every amazing opportunity that comes your way, you're going to find that internal joy and reach your highest and greatest good. Very cool. I do want to thank you for being on the program. It's been a good talk, to be honest with you. Completely great discussion we had here about various topics that I think are rather important in many lives out there, whether they know it or not. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful. I really appreciate really appreciate you having the chance to put you on my life review, Michael. Awesome. It was it was fun to to have a life review. It's a, a very different kind of experience, to be honest with you. That's my job. <laughs> oh, it was fun. <laughs> Happy to do it. Oh, yes. So, of course, I want to thank you very much for being on the program here, and I definitely want to touch base with you again in the near future. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for having me. All right, awesome. Talk to you again soon. Okay. All right, good night. Bye. Well, folks, episode 32 in the books there. As I said today, I was talking to a slightly different kind of guest, but everything always ties in together at some point in time. That's exactly what happened here. We could all use the power of positivity uh, positivity at a time like this. Why not, right? Oh, yeah. Once again, I do want to remind all of you out there, if you've missed a show, you can go back to michaeldeacon.com for any show you might have missed or aren't even aware that took place. michaeldeacon.com Always an honor and pleasure to be here. This was a very special afternoon delight edition of the Michael Deacon program. Of course, I'll be here tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time doing it again, folks. Don't miss it. And of course, guten Morgen to those out there in Germany. Shout out to Laura, of course, and shout out to my fellow brothers out there. EOD, keeping us all safe. With that said... The world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were giving me like bullshit. Like you can just see it. It's clear. <laughs> It's crazy. I had no idea this shit existed before 726. Oh, Granny, I like Granny. I'm gonna keep it real. A lot of good content. A lot of, a lot of cool topics. You know, I, yeah, I feel, you know, fortunate to have an opportunity to speak to you guys tonight. You guys are, you guys are really good. Yeah, Mr. Rusev, that son of a bitch. I do not like that man. It's the simplest shit. You go in there, you sit on the outside, and then I'll bring you my eight just for what it's worth, I want to put in my two cents to tell you both that you have Bro, one of the most here. incredibly well-rounded shows. Uh, other men. Men. 22 years old. Still virgin. Guess what, motherfuckers?